Good morning, folks. Um, this week we're going to be tackling The Soldier by Rupert Brooke, which is um, obviously one of the, the sort of group of the war poems. It's set in World War One. Um, the sort of context surrounding it is the, uh, the nationalism and the patriotism that uh, sort of was the precursor to World War One and, and Britain's entry to it. Um, so, Mr. Mustafa, what does the, the title get you thinking about? Why was it called The Soldier? Any, any sort of words of wisdom there? Um, I don't think it refers to a particular soldier. I think it refers to any soldier who is fighting for their country. This particular poem was um, uh, written in 1914 at the start of the World War, so it's uh, a very, very different poem to Dulce de Coromest. Mm. Um, it's a much more uh, um, loving kind of poem in the sense that it's it, 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 there's a sense of its love for his own country, a self-sacrifice, which he begins with in the first line when he says, "If I should die, think this, think only this of me, that there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever England." That mm. The idea of dying doesn't frighten him. No, he seems quite almost um, confident, almost you know, not worried at all, does he? No, he seems quite happy to um, to kind of maybe happy is not quite the right word but he see, he seems willing to sacrifice mm. his life for his country and that's reflected in the idea that the whole poem is a, is written in the format of a sonnet mm. which is mm. you, you know uh, usually associated with the idea of love and the object of that love is england isn't it this yeah poem. and also the idea that i think you're right that he's willing to die for england so very willing but equally there's a sense that once he's died he will still continue to be you know loving England to be because he's because he's bringing a corner of England to a foreign field so even in his death he is still playing his part in kind of um creating and keeping England safe again like I say it's reflected in that sonnet form <coughs> almost the idea of of kind of Britannia the mother figure that he somehow continues to protect and to love even in his death so he's willing to give life and death for for England um, and for the country that he clearly loves. Yeah, I think um, the the first word, if, shows quite an interesting uh, point there, really, because it shows his lack of experience of warfare and his naivety almost, because he he isn't aware of the sort of cost of war and the Absolutely. fact that it, you know, the fact that it does have a human impact. And this if shows that, you know, he doesn't think that there is that much certainty of death. Whereas if, if this was written by somebody who had fought on the front line, such as, um, you know, Wilfred Owen, then there would have been a much different point Absolutely, of view and this is the, the, the beauty of the soldier, and then, sort of, you know, thinking about the pairings and Dulce to Coromest, that the interesting thing about the soldier, for me, is everything <clears throat> that you've mentioned about context. It absolutely is written at the start of the war. It almost became like some kind of hymn or, or sort of, you know, um, it does feel him it, it, yeah it's a, a, for, for England but there's this idea that it absolutely reflects the zeitgeist the feeling of the time that everyone in England thought that you know that 1914 this was this was done and dusted this was going to be no big deal mm. World War One. it'd be done by Christmas everyone said, would yes. be home that's what they said that's what they believed mm. so it reflects that <clears throat> that optimism and that confidence but like you say they've got nothing to base it on no. um, it is World War One you know they haven't we haven't been through this as a kind of nation at any point this huge destruction the wiping out of generations mm. and this is you know, the soldier is poem one, if you like, at the very start of the war. And then we fast forward to almost four years later when 
Wilfred Owen's writing Dulcet to Cora Mest. Mm. You know, we're three, four years into World War One. Young men have died in their hundreds and thousands, mm. Mm. Um, and we see the reality. This is almost kind of the the optimistic. Nothing's quite happened yet. Projecting forward, yeah. and then you have something like Dulcet to Cora Mest, which is the reality of the front lines and of being absolutely wrung out by mm. year after year of war. You know, the idea that it'll be over by Christmas was just a nonsense. Absolutely. Mm. I thought it was, I think it's part of a kind of a propaganda to encourage mm. people to go, to encourage these young men to go to war, to war and not feel frightened and, uh, you know, not, not feel frightened of dying, even if they die for their country, the way he romanticises, you know, in that, rich, in that rich earth, a richer dust concealed, a dust whom England bore, shaped and made aware. But is it, it's almost to me like pre-propaganda, because mm. propaganda suggests that you're mm. kind of fighting against something or mm. creating this mythology mm. against something, but they've got nothing to refer to mm. here. It's, it's absolute naivety. It is. You know, national naivety at its height. Think mm. only this, and like you say, it's romanticised, a rich earth, a richer yeah. dust. Like he's going to bring something more yeah. to this whole scenario yeah. in his death and giving flowers and breathing English air. It's so romantic, so optimistic. But it's English air, that's right. But, it, but it's English air, yeah. absolutely. This whole, this whole idea of forever England as well, mm. um, I think is quite a key image because he, he completely believed that wherever you died, you know, you became part of the the wider sort of symbolic entity that is England. Absolutely. Um, and that sort of patriotism, it, it clearly lost its place in war because it became, you know, too visceral and too raw. Um, so, and it's almost, there's a dark irony to this poem, I think, as well, because he did die in a foreign field mm. on a ship, didn't he? Actually? He did, yeah, but he never actually fought, did he? No, never. I think he died no, in 1915. On a ship in, mm. um, I believe, Greece. Greece, yeah, I think and so. And he was bitten by a mosquito. Mm. Yeah. Blood mm. poisoning. Blood poisoning, yeah. But this yeah. this idea of that the the rich earth and a richer dust and what happens when you die in a foreign field again you could link to Mamet's wood which mm. we've already looked at you know mm. what does happen when young men die in a foreign field and and how they ended up dying there again that shows a much kind of darker well just more realistic mm. yeah, view of what it was like um, and again Rupert Brooke it is it's almost like a before and after isn't mm, it, it is. this is kind of england before it was ever tarnished by world war 1 mm. this is what life was like before we entered the great war mm. and we had nothing to draw on you know there, there's no reference point to the kind of scale of violence that as a no. country we would mm. be involved in um and hence he can, he does have license to have all of this beautiful imagery, mm. all of this natural imagery, mm. because really he has nothing else to draw upon except for the, the fields of England and the English share and the mm. washed by rivers, this kind of almost kind of communion-like yeah. washing away of sins, washed by rivers, blessed by suns. There's almost something mm. holy about... There's mm. a lot of religious imagery mm. and connotation in here. I think the, the idea of blessed um, and... As you say, that that eternal image of sort of forever England. You've got, um, yeah, the Richard Dust. And the English the, heaven at the end. Yeah, yeah. The eternal mind. There's a, a lot really linking to religion, and I think the the place of religion in World War One is quite significant to consider as well. You know, God's on our side. That kind of. Um, mm. It's almost hiding the idea that the the unspeakable horrors of war mm. they're hidden in the kind of desire to die in battle for one's country but they haven't in happened a noble yet. and yeah. honourable way yeah but there have been previous wars in other yeah. parts of the world the so, yeah. Yeah, the so, war, yeah. so they know that the horrors of war can you know 
touch them yeah destroy people's lives but mm. this is not this is kind of a, a screen over that thing that kind of it hides away the reality mm. i mean there's a there's a i mean there is a real noble aspect to what brooke is saying mm. you know and and there is this real sort of again reflected in the sonnet form this mm. real love of england um and if you know, he, he thinks of this place as something much more than just a country mm. and it's mm. home, isn't it? And <clears throat> and we all understand that need to, to protect and to, to look after mm. our, wherever we call home. Mm. Um, and again, the sonnet form reflects that love that he has um, for England, for her, for the place, for the country. But I just can't get away from the naivety of it. No. I can't mm. get away, you know, if I should die. Just it, Considering what we know. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, as a modern reader, it's it's hard not to have that mindset. But I think, it, it, like as you just said, there it is important to try and empathise with Definitely. Brooke and important to try and think about where he was at. And this, I think, this personification of England mm, as yeah. as the sort of caring and nurturing mother is quite an interesting image. Uh, with that in mind, because he he clearly wanted the layman to read this poem as yeah. something to imbue confidence Absolutely. and to, to give them a bit of and society at the time loved this poem. This Lovely. poem was so famous. Yeah. You know, it's not as if he he wrote a poem never to be seen and never to be heard of. You know, everyone knew this poem. It was almost like the the kind of you know the coffee the, table. Yeah, the battle cry of World War One. You know, at the very very start, everyone knew it. He was absolutely absolutely reflecting mm. what the majority of England thought. Mm -hmm. yeah. This wasn't kind of Rupert Brooke on his own sat somewhere thinking, oh, you know, this these are my thoughts and feelings about England. He absolutely, he this is a mirror to what was happening mm. in 1914. And they had reason to be confident and, and idealistic almost because the British Empire was at the height of its power at that time. We, we were the, the dominant force on planet Earth. So having an element of confidence and a degree of... Um, I suppose almost hubris here is mm. is uh, understandable, contextually speaking. Anyway, mm. I think so too. Well, I think he's divided it very clearly into two. This poem, you know, the opening part suggests the possibility of dying. Um, that sort of octave in that section, mm. yeah, and he could be, because he begins with that conjunction, <clears throat> and then the second part he shifts the whole direction of the poem into kind of religious aspects. You know, that leads from his personification of England to show his love for her like a mother figure, as you've said. Mm. And and all of the images <clears throat> go hand in hand with that, this kind mm. of maternal, loving, nurturing. Mm. There's nothing here to suggest war on the horizon. Mm. You know, if I should die, I, that's kind of it. You know, all of the images, richer earth, flowers, mm. English air, rivers, home, you know, very pastoral, every, very pastoral mm. and, and really nothing to suggest that this idea of if I should die is actually real. Yeah. You, you don't get the sense that there's kind of an impending doom. No. It's, it's all very, you say, pastoral, calm, tranquil, peaceful, all of those things. Um, and I think that's really interesting that, you know, England was going into war in that state of mind. Mm. Yeah. I think... Just feeding off what you, you were saying there, Mr. Mister, for the structure of it as a, uh, a Petrarchan sonnet is interesting. You've got the, the octave at the beginning sort of presenting that idea of um, what England has done for him. And mm -hmm. then, as you said in the last sort of sestet there, the, um, what he is giving back in death and what sort of, um, you know, the, the gifts he will return. Absolutely. Were. And um, again, the idea of that reciprocal relationship of man and country. 
yeah, you exactly. know, giving and, and return. Mm. Mm. You know, he's willing to to die for England because of everything that she has given him in, in all of those images that he he talks about. But yeah, the, the division of the sonnet is important. That first stanza does have a very different sort of range of images in comparison mm. to the second. And it is, for me, that thing of, or that concept of what he gives and what he gets in return and why he's willing to die in order to kind of keep these hearts at peace. Mm. Yeah. So, if we were to choose our versatile quotations, then, Miss <laughs> um, Mustafa, do you want to kick things off? Well, I think I would choose a dust whom England wore, shaped, made aware, simply because of the naivety of that whole statement. You know, that's all. You know, inevitably, that's what will become of him. But you know, the war will shape that. But he's romanticised it in the sense that it's you know, it's religious. It's you know, it's nothing to worry about or fear and that England is, you know, his home, wherever he dies, that part of England, that part of the world will be his home. Mm. And um, I thought that was quite a um, interesting idea. It is. Mm. For me, yeah. um, I've only got one actually this week. Um, in that rich earth, a richer dust concealed. Um, I just, I love that image of kind of, the earth again linked to Mamet's words the same kind of thing of this rich earth being witness to, to <clears> all of this being eventually a new home to the soldiers who die um, and then what is concealed under that but yet they make the rich earth richer I think that's that just yeah. that repetition and the image of the rich earth I think for me is quite yeah it, it fits in with this idea of kind of the love that he has for England and what he's what he's willing to sacrifice it contrasts really starkly with the Mammoth's Wood idea of mm. earth and burial, doesn't it? Yeah. Because that's quite an unpleasant image almost, in spite of the linked arms and arms image yeah. that we discussed. But the sense of the yeah. earth also kind of being, for want of a better term, the coffin. Yeah. The kind of, you know, where where these boys and men are held. Mm. And, and that idea of the earth always, again, referring to... to Mamet's with standing sentinels, that right? Yeah, yeah. standing sentinel, yeah. that that sense. I just think the, the idea of the earth is an interesting one, and I like it there. Yeah. I think the quotation I'd probably choose is forever England. I think it encapsulates the, the naivety and the idealism, uh, not just Brooke um, upheld, but that was mm, national at the time. Um, and this sort of uh, bravado and confidence that maybe wasn't misplaced at the time, but could not have been more wrong yeah. when we reflect on it. Um, and I think it's such an important line because he believed genuinely that wherever you would die, that would remain forever England, whether that implied British victory in war, or this idea of, on a more spiritual level that it left you left your mark absolutely. on that part of the world. Absolutely, your English mark. Your English mark. Absolutely. And uh, and obviously there's that sort of sickly irony about it as well that he died somewhere, in, in the, you know, middle of nowhere, um, and just was buried there. Mm. It wasn't as lovely and spiritual as you was hoping. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that, um, okay. I think then, is our little comprehensive analysis of the soldier. <laughs> Lots of context. <clears throat> Absolutely. So for next week, Ooh. where are we for next week? What should we take a look at? A wife in London? A wife in London. A wife in London, Thomas Hardy. See you there. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.